0: You're listening to SaaS Nordic, the sassiest podcast in the Nordics. Hi, I'm Daniel. And I'm Thomas.
1: And we are experienced SaaS professionals that are curious about how other successful SaaS companies go to market, scale, build winning teams, and great products.
2: Join us on our journey as we speak to Nordic SaaS leaders trying to get hold of their secret sauce.
1: And today's guest is Michael Haybari, the CEO and founder at Ocean IO.
0: We needed to bring down the situation where they The customer could self-on-board, could familiarize themselves with the product, and get to the point where they, this is something I could use, and then engage with us in a more commercial aspect of the sale. Welcome back to
1: another episode of the SAS Nordic Podcast. And uh, well, Daniel, how are you today? I'm very good, thank you. I've been a little bit under the weather, but I'm really good now, especially I think
2: it's because we're... Entering what I call the most exciting time of the year for us the next two three months are just Super fun.
1: Yeah, I hope you think you think and feel the same way or just be yeah I mean it it has been a good start of the year We have launched uh, the CEO network and the executive network during the year and uh, wow what a bunch of uh, talented and um, Friendly people that we have gathered that are sharing experiences with each other. So we have a really strong community here in the Nordics. And now we are, of course, putting all our efforts into making sure that SASSES 2023 will be an amazing event. It will indeed. uh, And, you know, Luckily, or maybe because we've done some good work in in the past, it looks like we're ahead of schedule for once. You know, it never happens in our world here. (laughs) Absolutely. There's a lot of interest both from from the partner side, but uh, especially on the attendee side. There is uh, so many people that are reaching out both from, from you know the ones that were there last year, but, but also people that we never heard of that, that wanted to come and there will be some, some more people traveling in from, from neighboring countries as well. So it's gonna be great fun.
2: Yeah, and I think it's worth emphasizing, I guess, like the, if you've been to a, our event, you know what's up, you, you know what's going to happen. If you haven't been to our event, I think it's worth emphasizing again that you come to us to learn, and steal somebody's ideas and leverage other people's lessons learned and experience. <laughs> the ambition here is that is after two days with us and with the great community of 1,200 people, you'll walk home and on Monday, when you have your Monday meeting with your folks and your team and so on, you'll have a bunch of new ideas that you either want to kickstart with right away in your organization or at least bring up for debate. So we're all about you know, the tactical, the things that you can get going with right away. So no theoretical nonsense and bullshit, excuse my language here, but (laughs) we want you to walk away with some ideas and start executing on them. I think that's really what it's all about.
1: Absolutely. And also I mean it's not just good content, it's, it's an all-inclusive event and uh, you will you will get fed, uh, you will also get drinks, we will have a fantastic time in the evening with the party, there is also all kinds of fun side events like a paddle tournament, a poker tournament, we also have some new things, um, to present that is not really official yet but um, expect there to be a lot of opportunities to network and to have fun. And Thomas, where do they find all this information? Where do they secure their tickets? They can do that at sassiest2023.com. And now it's another f- exciting thing ahead of us and that's an interview with a man, a CEO of a company here in our CEO network that has found that the US is a really good fit for their product and are pursuing that market without any fits on the ground. So let's go and talk to Michael. today we are very happy to have Mikael Hayberry the CEO and founder at Ocean IO as a guest here in the SAS Nordic
0: podcast so welcome to the show Michael Thanks Thomas and thanks Daniel
2: welcome Michael it's great to have you here and, and Thomas and I always have the pleasure to to know you rather well right now because you're part of our CEO network but for the ones that don't know Mikael from before like give us the brief story like what's your background
0: my background is uh, uh, did most of my early career in the US. Started uh, in Oracle uh, out of uh, California. And then, uh, but before that, born and raised in Denmark. So I'm Dane by birth. Uh, So I did the Valley, uh, the whole Valley thing. uh, From Oracle, uh, my manager left uh, for Valley Startup. And I joined him, and uh, so I did. Uh, startups uh, employee number twelve in the valley, and it was an amazing ride. Uh, being pitching in front of the VCs and seeing Google come out in the market, seeing uh, Salesforce come out, uh, you know, it was you know, and talking to the VCs who did Google. It was it was an amazing crowd to be in, and uh, for me, it was an eye opener for you know what it takes to bring a company success and make a company successful and uh, started off on my own or some years back and then suddenly you know seven years ago i got this idea for ocean uh, prototype for a couple of years uh, in order to see what what is doable in terms of technology and then five years ago incorporated the company and then went on my own
2: wow so is copenhagen what the valley was 20 years ago?
0: No, it's probably what the valley was uh, 30 years ago. (laughs) Uh, Copenhagen has changed dramatically, dramatically. If we go back, uh, the first really big thing here was unity. Yeah. uh where stockholm has been way ahead of us way ahead of us mm. uh, but then unity came along uh, obviously uh, out of the US as well and I must say that that led the way for some of uh, the the changes you have seen in Copenhagen that it's not just a long game it's not just a short game it's a long game and you see the vCS are starting to adapt to it and and you see their uh, you know, the foreign VCs coming in, not the Danish, but the foreign VCs coming in and teaching a little bit of lessons in in how to look uh, for long-term perspective on a company. And you see Dixa and see companies like that, Timplify and others that has that long game. Yeah. And uh, so I think code making has changed dramatically. Okay. We still have uh, the, what i say, the Valley Unicorn uh, mindset, uh, but it's getting there. It's still uh, it, it, there's a uh, ten years, uh, still ten years left in that I think, but we're getting there.
1: So how come you started your own company and, and
0: why Ocean and and the field that you're in? Uh, Ocean was pretty much a solution to a problem I lived every day in sales. Uh, it has been a while since I was in sales, but I actually grew up in software sales. And when you when you have closed a customer successfully. Uh, you ask yourself one question, how can I find similar customers to the one I just closed? Because it's that similarity that gives you a way in to sell to them because you have just closed a very specific problem for a very specific customer. And if you could find the 10, 20, 30 identical customers to that that customer, you had for sure a a shoe into them and you could actually have a high probability of closing them. But that caused the problem because you couldn't find, because the way to find customers were industry codes, and that's not accurate enough. Mm. And that's why I set out to find a way to personify B2B sales. What I mean by that is if we go to B2C, all of us on this call, we have a persona at Google, Facebook, all over, and that allows them to target us with very specific ads. But if we go to B2B, and look to some of the traditional play, uh, players in B2B sales, they, they focus on their individuals in B2B, and that's wrong. It's the companies that buy is not an individual in a company that buy. That means it's a company that represent a very specific problem se- set that allows the individual to go out and look for a solution for that problem set. So the issue here is that you need to personify the companies first, and start with a look-alike personification of companies. And then you can look at the individuals within that those uh, look-alike uh, cluster. That's how we fundamentally changed it. Mm.
1: Because, I mean, a lot of people are talking about that, you know, B2B sales and B2C sales is getting more similar, that you always you sell to people and you, you need to also work with the personas on the people. So... Is this contradicting that, or is this just different layers of
0: sort of the same thing? I, 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 I. We go up against the current here. We definitely go up against the current. Yeah. How does it help you that you per- personify a, 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 an individual in a company if the company is wrong? Yeah. You need to start the journey with the right company. Yeah. And then you go to the right individuals within those companies. But what you have done in the past is literally throwing mud at the walls. You, you, you. You know, that's why we have the armies of SDRs and BDRs out there in the market to take the noise out of your target audience because it's not accurate enough. Mm. That's what we automate. We basically allow you to target in on your ideal customer profiles and it's plural. That means you have multiple, multi customer profile, ideal customer profiles and then start to target them specifically. And then we can talk about the individuals within those. And that could be their head of marketing, that could be the head of procurement or whatever, Mm. but it's his context of sitting in a very specific company that allow you to engage in a conversation with that individual. Because you are trying to solve the problem he most likely have. It makes sense. So what's your ideal customer profile then? Our ideal customer profile is uh, a, multi- a multitude of ICPs. Uh, it's uh, digital agencies, it's lead generation, and then we go into tech. The moment we have a sophisticated tech offering... Uh, where they're looking for very specific, uh, let's say you're selling to OEMs because you're selling uh, a system that allows you to do on-site uh, service of your equipment. Then we help that customer finding very specific verticals within uh, original manufacturers because it needs to be of a certain capital intense value that it uh, allows for your system to, uh, to be in play. And that is what we help them with. We help them find very specific target audiences for very specific problems.
1: All right. So do you have any tool that helps you to find uh, ICPs?
0: Uh, Should we guess one? (laughs) Ocean, obviously. (laughs) It's obviously Ocean. We use our own system uh, the whole way. It's good when you use your
1: own uh, software, right? Because then you can can get in the customer's seat and, and sort of when your salespeople are, you know, asking for certain functions or complaining about the bug and so on, you you make sure to
0: fix it, right? Yeah, we use it from the first engagement with the customer resolving uh, that uh, persona, uh, that means that company into how it fits into our uh, uh, lead scoring, and then uh, in, and that de- determines how uh, how quick and how uh, diligent we engage with that company, and then it's the whole way through to once we close the customer, we automatically replicate that customer out into the the market space we just over the last two months we just sold 10 uh software companies who are in the supply chain management space because we sold one and then we replicated it wow just as an example
2: interesting thank you so much for sharing that and just to put things in perspective so you know uh people listening to this uh, episode they know who they have in front of them here so walk us through some numbers like h- how big is your operation right now in terms of arr How fast are you guys growing? Let's start there.
0: Uh, We're growing. uh, Let's start with how many we are. We are in uh, around 40, 42, 43, uh, and we're growing probably to 45 over the next couple of months, uh, but not more than that uh, right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, We are uh, hitting for you know, we will not earn the 10 million mark this year. <laughs> uh, we have a say in the network that once you get the 10 million AR, you'll get a badge. I don't think I will get the badge. This-
1: I've heard that rumor. We can't uh, we can't confirm it. We can't deny it. But there is a rumor that there might be a 10 million euro badge. <laughs> There's a rumor <laughs>
0: out there. Yeah, We will not be able to earn that badge this year. But we'll get close. Next year is definitely where we'll get there. Uh, and uh, you know, main markets U.S. Uh, and then uh, U.K., uh, uh, Central Europe like uh, DACH and uh, Nordics, uh, but it's it's really all over the world.
2: Right. And tell us a little bit like how have you been funding this exercise so far? Like
0: uh, we uh, we had uh, we started with uh, self funding and uh, in the early days. And then we had uh, uh, private uh, angels in, mm-hmm. and then we started our first institutional investing uh, investing in two years ago, and the total f- uh, the total raise is uh, close to ten million euros so far, uh, and with some depth from, from their uh, from the Danish Rex Fund.
2: Right. It's always interesting, also also to know for for us in the audience, you know. You can either be a founder, such as yourself, or, or many listeners here are hired guns. They came in to take over after the founders, and that affects obviously the ownership structure. Like, you know, how big of a stake do you still have in this business?
0: Uh, close to sixty percent. All right, that's a good spot to be in. Yeah, it's a good spot to be in, but it takes a lot of. Uh... <laughs> manuring uh, because uh, it's, uh, we are what you call a deep tech uh, we build our entire AI and NLP ourselves so we are deep tech and traditional deep tech costs a lot of money mm. uh, and uh, just data science or uh, uh, AI people they cost a fortune to hire and uh, we have been able to maintain a relatively relatively low burn rate. Uh, But if you look to the VC uh, perspective of it, we have a relatively high burn rate because uh, we maintain our own tech stack and maintain our own development stack. And that costs quite a bit of money.
1: So when we talked about markets here before, you mentioned the US first. And we want to sort of uh, focus a little bit on that here because as we understand it, you are U.S. is one of your most important markets, but you don't have a presence in the U.S. Am I right? That's correct. Yeah. Okay. So you sell from 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 uh, from Copenhagen. So, but first, why did you start looking at the U.S. market
0: in the first place? Was was that always the the idea? Uh, it's. I think it's a combination of two or three things. First of all, I had quite a bit of experience in selling in in the U.S. I lived there. I know the culture quite well. Uh, I also know. Uh, the, the the pendulum frequency in the. US that means it goes from boss to to, 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 uh, to uh, growth very quickly. And when the whole thing started to contract last year, uh, we at the same time started to analyze our perfect ICP mm. and we came across uh, quite a few American customers and when we started to interview them it was very obvious that they were all what I call second generation data. Buyers, they, they had data uh, lead, da- uh, lead data platforms like ZoomInfo or Apollo, all of them. And they actually replaced those with Ocean. And when we start to talk to them about why they did that, and that's because they could actually pinpoint you know, exactly what they wanted from uh, why where, where Ocean was different. We knew that, but they confirmed back to us. And so it became very obvious that uh, the U.S. market, gave us the most mature customers uh, and uh, we need the mature customer. That means mature data buyers because they really appreciate what we do because we do it fundamentally different to what they have seen before and they appreciate that difference. Mm. And then obviously the, the the challenge we had was that we didn't have unlimited marketing spent to break into the U.S. market, right? Uh, so it has to be done in a very tight fashion, and we. So what we did, starting in uh, in July, August last year, was creating two uh, two approaches. What, the first approach was that we wanted to engage with potential partners. Uh, that means we engaged in deals. With partners that was plugged into the U.S. market in very specific ICPS, but it, within those I, ICPS, they had a tremendous uh, follower following uh, within Twitter and so on. That means some of our, uh, some of those we teamed up with had fil- f- uh, Twitter followers to the tune of seventy to hundred thousand. Right, and uh, we realized that the U.S. was very much centered around these individuals or companies or the individuals within these companies because they were followed. And we started to penetrate into them and convince them that we had a solution that was far superior to anything they saw in the US. And once we got the buy-in on that and got the recommendations and got the videos shot from them and posted on Twitter and everything else, we started to generate through that Affiliate marketing or uh, partner marketing, uh, we created uh, the first inbounds. So, some kind of
1: B2B influencer strategy, then?
0: Exactly. Uh, At the same time, we started to gear the product for PLG. Because if we need to be successful, uh, if we want to be successful in the US, we need to give a very low barrier of entry for our customers. Because running traditional sales cycles out of Copenhagen with six or seven steps was not feasible. We needed to bring down the situation where the, the customer could self-onboard, could f- familiarize themselves with the product and get to the point where they this is something I could use and then engage with us in a more commercial aspect of a sale. And uh, I think we are way into that now. Uh, we started the whole thing in December, bringing the first test out. January was still a learning process. But I see February, you know, what's happening in, in February is amazing. I have AEs that has six to eight meetings a day with new prospects. And, so, and it's too many, but it is all with prospects that has tested, self-onboarded, and really eager to proceed right and we're not there yet but we're getting there that we can and now we're starting to throw more marketing dollars into it we're still on a low, relatively low budget in terms of what we de- do in new ar on a monthly basis but we are starting to put serious advertising money into to linkedin for instance because we now have the stories we have the following, we have the PLG, we can invite them into a free test and so on and so forth. Yeah. So it's now starting to come together.
1: I was just wondering, how did you find these B2B Influencers, how, how did you identify them? Talk to
0: everyone who, uh, who, who wanted to talk to us to hear who they got influenced by. Talk to or uh, started to go in on Twitter. Okay. Especially Twitter is really important in this. Uh, uh, and we underestimated in Europe and the US is big. It's really big. And understanding uh, these followers and understanding how they influence the market and everything else, that was big for us. But the net result is that we, from very little, uh, you have to understand, we grow very rapidly. So in a growing stack of 10, you know, 15, around 15% new AR growth per month, we at the same time grew the U.S. part of that AR, new AR, from 5% to 40% within the last four months. Yeah. So that is, it's, it's, it's been quite successful. Fundraising can be exhausting. With Float, funding for SaaS businesses has
1: never been easier. All digital funding platform apply in just a few clicks. 100% customizable growth loans to fit your needs. No dilution, no personal or equity guarantees. Fuel your growth by accessing a credit line of up to 70% of your ARR within days. And the best of all, you get a fixed interest rate from Float. Visit GoFloat.io and get funded.
2: One thing I'm thinking about listening to you, Michael, here is that a lot of companies, they try US, and I don't want to say that you guys also did an experiment, but that you try it out a little bit to start to see the results and so on, and then you commit to it more. Like, what is the evidence that you need from your perspective to sort of say fully commit to it because it's a zero sum game. At some point, you're gonna have to sacrifice some other things to do more US things, so to say. When is that tipping point? What what do you need to get to see?
0: It's data driven. Uh, When we can see an average sales cycle uh, on a US account being 10 days uh, with an ARR of 10,000, 12,000 from the US, and the, the same data points in Germany is twice as more, uh, twice as long and half as uh, as big. It's it's very obvious that US is the place to be. Right? Uh, is it a con- is it a constraint to have AES uh, working US hours out of Copenhagen? Yes and no. Uh, obviously, if they can see that they can sell, they can actually run. 150 percent of quota if they do out of the US, whereas they will do a quota 100 percent if they only do Europe, European. Right. I must say that it was, it has been very uh, easy to persuade anyone to work until 11 o'clock in the evening here uh, to entertain US customers uh, because it's all about the results. Uh,
2: uh, how, how does that practically work? So did you have like reps that worked for you before and then you went back to them and said like, hey, you're, you're good reps. I want you to try out the US, but that means that you're starting at noon and ending at 11 or uh, p.m. Or like- It was a
0: gradual thing. Uh, it's an opportunity, gradual thing. It was not like we started to sit down and persuaded anyone to sit until 11 o'clock. It was more like the moment they start to open their calendar for bookings until six o'clock and they started to fill up, with U.S. bookings, and they actually closed those bookings, they automatically expanded to seven o'clock, and then they expanded to eight o'clock, and they still filled up.
2: And those greedy salespeople. <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> so what we took care of was to to make sure that they were fed with good inbounds, and the rest took care of itself.
2: Right. Yeah. And and then then I'm, okay, so I, I get it. So the working hours, I guess, are flexible. Then, like, you, as long as you hit your numbers, you can come in, and come in and go whenever you want. Exactly. Tell us a little bit about because we. Get get these questions a lot like what does the u.s your partners your customers what do they feel about this approach in terms of like you're not there like are you dedicated enough to us as a region and so on do you how do you combat that
0: uh good question uh we have not seen an issue yet okay uh but we think uh the magic is that we keep below 20 to twenty-five dollar deals uh, I think once you are above that, I think we'll have pushback on our commitment to the U.S. market. Right. Uh, we have deliberately kept it below twenty to $25,000. Mm. We also see that we need in the fall or, or over the summer to put, uh, and uh, you have to understand we run with Danish contracts because it's a Danish legal entity. Right. But we will need to put a U.S legal entity and ink in there and do U.S.-based contracts. We need that and need to have some kind of office space in the U.S. But if you look in the scheme of things, that's a very, very minimal investment to to create a Delaware Ocean Incorporate, to have a office, shared office space somewhere to potentially have one or two support, but in the end of the day that you can do a U.S.-based contract. Right the majority, everything is still out of Copenhagen. We are not full into the U.S. yet. Yeah. And it's not like we are hiring AEs and SDRs and everything else out of the U.S. and praying that they're actually going to perform because it's still out of, uh, of Copenhagen. So from a risk-reward standpoint, our risk has been very little exposure.
2: So, so what does that mean? Because that also brings me then to another uh, question we get a lot. So am I understanding this right that – you don't actually have US-specific SLAs. Like the, the, the contracts and the SLAs are, uh, to make it very concrete, what hours are your support hours? Are they adapted to the US or they're European office hours?
0: They're flexible.
2: They're flexible.
0: Uh, but what I mean by that is that it's pretty much European plus a couple of hours.
2: Okay. It, it's good to hear this because sometimes people think like we have to have like you said, you know, all the SLAs in place, all, all, all the uh, sales or account people need to be in the U.S., they need to be American and so on. And how is it like, how many of your salespeople towards the U.S. are actually American or are they all non-American, they're Danes?
0: Uh, they are Danes, they are Americans, they are Romanian, they are Dutch, uh, they're from all over Europe. Uh, and and the U.S. Uh, and I would say it's opportunity driven. It was pretty much they pulled. You know, when it becomes evident that it was easier to close U.S. deals, it was like you know. Uh, You have chum in the water and the sharks are are swimming in for the chum. It was like, (laughs) that was literally what happened. And we didn't prevent it. We didn't really build very, very strict uh, geographical barriers. It was really on who wants to entertain that opportunity. Uh, And we deliberately did that. Uh, And then... It's a question of who wants to work late on a t- Thursday versus who wants to work late on a Tuesday and so on and so forth. And uh, and we, we haven't seen any, uh, we didn't prep, prep much for it. And you have to understand we closed between 10 and 15 new American customers every month. Wow. Well, that's great. And it's not been an issue.
1: So you mentioned that you wanted to create an American entity and so on, but... Is there any other downsides or things you need to fix here, do you, do you feel, with the current situation?
0: Uh, downside, yeah. Obviously, we kept uh, the deal size below a certain threshold. Uh, we also believe that we cannot entertain the large enterprise deals unless we are in the U.S. And that's probably the only downside there is. On the other hand, The risk we are entertaining on a monthly basis in terms of uh, burn exposure, uh, focusing on the U.S., is absolutely minimal relative to the uh, reward we are uh, generating. So I would say the risk is so minimal. It's so minimal.
1: That that sounds amazing. Um, Uh, We we are happy for you (laughs) here. So um, what would you say? What would be... A few tips just uh, to, to round off with here for, for companies that are, are looking into to starting uh, moving into the U.S. in a cost-effective way or doing it from home.
0: The prerequisite for Ocean being successful is that our product has a very good fit in the U.S. Yeah. it's a, It fits into the mindset. It fits into the data we have, uh, the way it's built. Uh, That means it's built uh, with a U.S. mindset in the first uh, aspect. If you have that kind of product that will have a good fit in the U.S., I would say move and move fast now. Don't spend money on it, but really think through carefully how you can address and how you can attract that customer base you want to go after in the U.S and then really do it because the US market the US economy is swinging back full force the job numbers the economy everything else the rent uh, the interest rate is in is is at plateau right now it's probably going to go down you will see the US coming back in full force over 2023 and Europe is still going to drag their feet for the rest of this year so if you want to see an aggressive growth rate uh, and you have a market product market fit in the U.S., do it. That's my recommendation.
2: I mean, who doesn't? Who does? Like, we're all going to the U.S. You heard it here. Yeah, you, you heard it here first. Uh, 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 Michael, this this was great. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I know that you're a great ambassador. We've seen that in, in the network for, you know, sharing the knowledge and the experience. So I don't want to put you on, on the spotlight here in any way that's going to make you uncomfortable. But I know that you've helped other people considering... You know, some of these things, they're welcome to reach out to you. They can find you on LinkedIn to continue this discussion. So on that note, we have a couple of questions for you before we round off. Uh, Number one, what are you looking for right now to further accelerate your journey?
0: We are not looking for more money right now. Uh, We are having a very healthy business, but I would say come fall of this year i would i would love to have money to fund opening an office in the u.s i would love to have that okay i don't i don't have it in the budget right now but but it's also a question of growing the u.s to around 50 to 60 percent of our business once we are there i think we can find a u.s investor that will help us with that
1: in order for you to listen to a, a podcast episode here what guest would be the most exciting for you if we could get
0: I think the Unity journey has been really interesting Yeah, uh, and I think uh, uh, the guys that uh, I think is Union um, in Stockholm Yeah, uh, is having, they, they are now opening up in the US uh, and I would say they probably have a different perspective to what I just said mm. uh, they're bringing out our customer success uh, you know a, a what is it called? Uh, subscription administration system. And I think uh, the CEO there might actually have some really interesting perspective. Let's yeah,
1: move over there. So we're definitely going to have him on the show.
0: I would say, I can't recall his, uh, he moved over there.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, I don't know him, uh, but uh, I would love to hear his story.
1: Yeah, definitely. We are, we are working on it actually.
0: Yeah. I would love to hear his story.
1: And Nicholas,
2: if you're listening to this, you know, it's in your inbox and it's actually booked in the calendar. So. There will be an episode with Nicholas from Unium upcoming soon.
1: Yeah, and there will at least be one listener, so yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Michael, it was really great seeing you. Thank you for being with us and and see you around. Okay, take care. Take care now. Bye. So Daniel, what are your takeaways from the episode today? Honestly, I I don't know really where my head is at. Uh,
2: I really like... Michael's approach here. And we've heard it from other Danish companies as well, that you can take on the US, at least to a certain extent, with local talent sitting in, obviously in this case in in Copenhagen. There is a way to do that. Uh, At the same time, we hear stories from other CEOs that US is, you know, a a pay to play market. You have to commit to it properly. You have to be there locally, otherwise it's not gonna work out, it's not gonna fly. Don't do any shitty experiments and so on. So I'm starting to land in that there's no one-size-fits-all. And I think what Michael said was that what was really interesting and maybe will help you understand if you should do it from your home turf in the Nordics or if you have to commit properly there, it's maybe related to the maturity level of your product and the maturity level of how well that product matches the American way of doing business, the culture, the way they run the operations, whatever problems you solve. I think he said that very nicely in a way that, you know, they have a product that fits right into that. And maybe that helps them sell from here. So I never thought about it that way, but maybe that has to be the deciding factor, whether you need to commit with a bunch of people there, or just, you know, start softly from here.
1: Yeah. And it's also about the ticket size. It's about how much I don't know implementation work. Do you need to do how much configuration? Do you need a partner in place and so on? Right. But uh, what I thought was interesting was how when he started talking about partners, I, I was thinking about other things. But it really turned out to be these B2B influencers that they found on Twitter and and f- found that really successful. And and uh, as he mentioned here in Europe and I feel that here in the Nordics that. At least i don't use twitter that much nowadays it was more in the past um but in the u.s it's it's really impactful and there are people there that actually could be good ambassadors for your product so if you have a product that uh, that fits that could really be a, a great opportunity
2: yeah no, indeed. I mean, there's so many creative ways of, of approaching a market and I, I think that that's that's just a, one really good way and I think we'll see more of that, you know, that, you know the, the influencer phenomena also entering the B2B world, I, I think whether you like it or not it's here to stay
1: yeah and we are also here to stay i I hope so (laughs) (laughs) we are coming to you once or twice a week we are trying to to make the show twice a week now and uh, we have a pretty busy schedule with new interviews coming up so uh, it looks promising it looks promising and we so much uh, appreciate that you are with us here listening and um, well with that said hope to see you soon somewhere we are planning some meetups also Uh, probably in estonia and denmark Uh, it's it's not hundred percent set yet but it will be soon maybe when this uh, podcast airs so um, with that said hope to see you around see you at sassiest and have a great day take care